for being here, Scott. I really appreciate it. This is an opportunity to talk about uh, how communication can serve us uh, exceptionally well as healthcare providers, uh, but particularly as athletic trainers, as we really interact with quite a few stakeholders in our practice. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just starting uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and what your current role is in athletic training. Sure. Um, so ironically, this guy, Scott Sell, I was born and raised in Terre Haute. I affectionately call it God's country. Um, I graduated Terre Haute North in 2006. I went to the University of Indianapolis after that, graduated there in 2010 with my bachelor's in athletic training, and then moved to IUPUI and did a two-year graduate assistantship um, there and finished up in 2012. While I was in India, I did a two-year internship with the Colts, which is always fun to see the professional side of our profession. Um, spent the next four years um, moving throughout Wisconsin for two years and then the state of Michigan for two years, um, primarily as a collegiate athletic trainer, and then moved into hospital outreach um, in Kalamazoo, Michigan in late 2015 and then moved to um, Washington, Indiana, where I currently reside and work um, to take a job as um, director of athletic training for Davies Community Hospital. I've been in that role ever since 2016, um, growing our athletic training outreach program um, ever since. Recently, in the last six to eight months, I've been promoted to the director of strategic development so all that means is that now I oversee all of the business development related issues and opportunities that come through our hospital. So instead of just growing athletic training contracts and programming, I'm now growing OB-GYN, general surgery, hematology, oncology services, anything that relates to growing patient volume is how we work here at the hospital, um, falls under my purview. So. Um, when I got into athletic training, I was going to be a Division I men's basketball athletic trainer, and I was going to do that for four years. Um, ten years in, I've already transitioned a couple times in my career to where now I would consider myself a full-time healthcare administrator. Um, I still oversee all of our athletic training initiatives and growth. Um, the only thing that's changed in my new role is that we no longer, I no longer work in our outpatient rehab, rehab setting, so I used to see patients and bill as an athletic trainer and receive reimbursement, um, thanks to our great practice act we have here in Indiana. But growing into this new administrator role, um, I had to concede that patient care. Um, so that's, that's, that's been a challenge for me. Uh, we all get into this profession to be clinicians, um, but for future growth and then opportunities just to have a larger voice as an athletic trainer within a health system um, has been really cool and gives us a much bigger platform. Um, that we may not have um, otherwise. So that's great. Can you tell me how um, you feel like your preparation and athletic training kind of propelled you uh, to be successful in your current role? Yeah, I think, right, as athletic trainers, we're pretty adaptable, right? Um, in a traditional setting, we adapt to weather, we adapt to injuries, we adapt to the different teams that we work with. Um, and we're good at doing a lot of things, right? We can we can manage 12 athletes doing rehab at the same time. We can manage a, a practice of 25 soccer players who we have to watch do various things throughout throughout that practice. Like we're good at we're good at managing time and we're good at managing other people and interacting with other people. So I think that's really allowed me to grow as as I have in this role where 
I'm now interacting with somebody who specializes in laboratory services or somebody who specializes as a nurse, as an OB supervisor. Well, I may not have that content, but my ability to connect, my ability to communicate, my ability to develop some sort of rapport and relationship, just like we would do with our traditional athletes, I've been able to do with my colleagues who I'm helping to grow their specific service lines at the hospital. Great, thanks so much. So uh, in your position, you've had the opportunity to hire both seasoned athletic trainers as well as those that are transitioning to practice. What are some of the greatest challenges you've seen for athletic trainers transitioning to practice? Yeah, and guys, I'm gonna speak specifically to my current setting um, in rural America. So Washington, Indiana is a town of 12,000 people and we have five different uh, affiliates throughout um, the Davies County area. So very rural. Ned Shannon, my, my mentor at UND, would always call it Cornfield County High School. Um, and that's really what we're doing down here is we're providing rural, rural athletic training, rural sports medicine to our, to our patient population. So um, one of the bigger challenges that we, that we face, um, especially with the new graduates, is there's not a lot of things that a 24-year-old wants to do um, in Davies County. There's not, there's not the nightlife. There's not the, the, the social parties and get-togethers and things like that. So we struggle just from an amenity standpoint. Um, but clinically, it's also harder because one of the schools that we partner with, the closest ER is 40 minutes away from that school. So you truly are the first responder, the independent healthcare pr practitioner who's managing that emergent situation for what could be an extended period of time. So making sure we're fluent in our emergency medicine and making sure we're confident in our skill set um, are, are two things that we have identified early on. Um, but just generally, I think reflecting on my own experience, um, communication, right? That's the hardest thing I struggled with when I first graduated was how do I talk to a coach? How do I talk to a student athlete? How do I talk to a parent about a serious injury or even a non-serious injury. What's my what's my communication style? What what am I articulating and how am I articulating it? Because those three people separately are you're communicating with them differently, right? What I'm communicating to the athlete is different than what I'm communicating to the coach, which is different than what I could put could be put could be communicating to to the parents of that student athlete. Um, so rural rural America pre presents its own challenges. Um, and for us in the high school setting, it's tough because we have one athletic trainer for one high school. So we don't have the other opportunities to bounce ideas off of other clinicians at our site. So we have monthly staff meetings and we spend the last 30 minutes of our staff meeting just sharing ideas or sharing case studies or patient stories of, hey, I managed this this way. Anybody have any tips for how I can do this in the future or things like that? So we try to be creative in, in having some of that um staff bonding staff sharing um to allow that free flow of information that you would get if you were an athletic trainer in the state and there's 12 or 14 athletic trainers right there in the same athletic trainer room where you can bounce ideas off of each other unfortunately we don't have that here um but we we try to create some some opportunities to do that because what we don't want is for our athletic trainers to feel like they're on an island by themselves in rural america and then and they're not supported so Absolutely. I think one of the greater challenges is that we have missed opportunities for education. 
Um, and so one of the reasons why the students are underprepared for those things, the, the questions you ask yourself, how do I talk to the parent? How do I talk to the student? How do I talk to the AD? Early on, you were asking yourself those questions because you didn't have that opportunity when you were in a learning setting, right? So thinking about it from a preceptor perspective, giving students that opportunity or simulating those experiences are really important in preparing somebody uh, for autonomous practice. What other professional development opportunities would you suggest an athletic training student do in preparation for first-time employment? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, know your skill set. Don't, don't do something that you're not comfortable with because you think you were supposed to be able to do that, right? Um, I was fortunate that I didn't go straight out of my bachelor's program or now your DAT program straight into a high school where I was by myself. So um, I've really had to glean that from my staff when that happens of what do you need from me as a supervisor to make sure that you're not isolated um, and take advantage of the opportunities you have, take advantage of your simulated patients, take advantage of, of your your clinical rotations, take advantage of your preceptors and ask them to do more. You're going to be able to learn how to set up an ACL rehab through your, through your textbook, through your, through your classroom experience. What you're not gonna be able to do is know how to handle that conversation. So I would encourage you all to go to your preceptors right now and say, hey, can, can we simulate this if nothing else? Or next time we have, start with a non-severe ankle sprain. Next time we have a non-severe ankle sprain, can I be the one to call Susie's parent and talk to them about the plan of action for that person. Or as you develop your relationships with the coaches at your sites, have that conversation with coach on that non-severe ankle sprain of, hey, here's our plan, here's our anticipated return to play, and here's, here's could be some potential barriers. That Those opportunities to have those conversations were something that I didn't have in my undergraduate experience, and, and I was blessed that I got those in my, in my graduate assistant experience, but for those of you who, who are going straight to clinical practice after this, get those opportunities to, to communicate. Your, your blockmans and your, your rehabs and those things, they're gonna come through the classroom, but those soft skills of talking to individuals about difficult situations, um, you're not gonna be able to simulate through a textbook, so take advantage of your simulated patients and make sure you're trying to get that in your clinical immersions. Absolutely. So when we think about it from the perspective of the DAT student, it's a lot more about the giving your student the opportunity, creating those simulations for your students. And I think particularly um, clinicians that might be in our program that are early on in their career are often still learning that skill themselves. And so they uh, don't have the same inclination to share that opportunity with a student they might be precepting. And I think what what I would really encourage young clinicians and young preceptors to do is to also share those moments with students, but also to consider not taking on a student. If, it, if you haven't had those opportunities yourself, then maybe it's a little too early in your, in your uh, professional role to be engaged as a preceptor. I think we really have to do some self-reflection about what, the, what kinds of opportunities the profession offers to us absolutely the desire to teach i think most of the students in our program have that desire otherwise they wouldn't have chosen isu 
but they also have to slow things down a little bit and reflect on the the need for themselves to transition to practice before they can be in a good position to mentor people. I think sometimes it takes a lot of courage to acknowledge that maybe you need some time yourself to develop before you're in a position to to mentor others. Yeah, I think that's a Lindsay, I think that's an excellent point where I didn't have a student in my first two years as a graduate assistant. And that really helped me become the clinician and communicator I needed to be as a working professional. If I would have had a senior student or a first year GA underneath me, I would have felt the responsibility to hand some stuff off to them that I really needed to harness and hone in on myself to have my own skill set. Um, I think that's an excellent point. Don't don't jump into a situation just because it's the right thing to do for the profession. You need to make sure it's the right thing for you to do first as a clinician. And then if you can pay it forward, great. But you can also pay it forward in year five and year 10 and year 15 of being a professional. You don't have to pay it forward in year zero to two. And there's a fundamental difference between being a mentor for somebody. You can still mentor somebody, especially if you're a new clinician and you're talking to, say, uh, a higher level student, senior level student or second year master's degree student, and they're about to transition to practice. Mentoring them through that transition period, absolutely, that's a great time for you to be uh, having conversations with people about your experiences, your emotions, the challenges you're having in your practice, but that doesn't mean you have to be a preceptor. And I think sometimes that that is confused or, you know, those two things, they, they, they can be the same thing, but they don't have to be. And you can engage in mentorship relationships without being a person who has to facilitate somebody's learning through clinical teaching. So as a supervisor, what activities or strategies do you employ to help develop strong communication skills? You talked a little bit about the ends of your uh, monthly staff meetings and engaging in discourse and discussion within your facility and within the athletic trainers, but do you have other activities or strategies you use that you might recommend? Yeah, so anytime somebody's onboarded, we have a formal 30, 60, 90 day um, onboarding process um, that's, that's systemized, so systemized, so everything. Any, any new hire that comes into DCH um, is going to go through that same 30, 60, 90. Um, I try to take it a step further. Um, and early on, like I'll go once a week to the clinical site, wherever this person gets hired into, um, just to do an hour, two hour, three hour, whatever they need site visit just to make sure they're comfortable hey any new injuries in the last seven days any new scenarios that came up that you're you're struggling with are you how are you doing um those types of things so early on it's a weekly i call it a touch right a weekly touch with my with my new staff to make sure they feel supported and then we're checking in either facetime or text or calls on those other days just to make sure nothing's falling through the cracks and things like that um we do a, a, a big day-long training before the start of every academic year. So we're going to bring all of our, all our clinicians in. We're going to do a skills review. We're going to do a, an EMS training session. We're going to review best practices for emergent situations. Um, and then we're going to go over anything else. So we have that one big skills review a year. Um, the monthly, um, monthly staff calls. New hires are going to get a, a weekly touch from me. Everybody else is going to get a monthly visit from me um, just to make sure everything's going well at their clinical site. Um, I use that opportunity to also interface with 
the athletic directors or superintendents, whoever else at the schools, just to make sure that they feel supported as well, both from a athletic training standpoint and a system standpoint. But really the, the main feature there is to make sure my athletic trainers know that we have their back and that they're being supported from me. Because again, they're not coming to the hospital campus, but maybe five times a year. That's a little bit different now during COVID-19, but for the most part, they're not coming onto campus. Um, so I need to make sure that they still feel connected to the health system as well. If you had unlimited resources and unlimited time to train staff and onboard them and give them all the resources they needed to be successful, what other activities would you incorporate mm -hmm. into your onboarding process sure. and or maybe that first 18 to 24 months for a new clinician? Yeah, so one of the things I forgot to mention the first question was, we also have them spend a day with our um, orthopedic surgeon and his orthopedic PA. Um, so again, small health system, we have one orthopedic surgeon and one orthopedic physician assistant. So we have them spend a day with them learning how to staff a patient with them when they refer into that physician, learning some clinical skill sets from them. Um, so we make sure that we're starting to build that relationship as well. Um, if I could do that monthly, I would. I do encourage my staff to come on what we term patient visits. So say you send somebody in with a, with a knee injury and it fits into your schedule, I encourage you to come to that visit to build continuity of care between the patient, the parent, you and the clinic and the and the surgeon um, just to again show that continuity that hey we have you from step one all the way through step 10 and we're a comprehensive team here but i would love to have them be able to interface with our provider staff face to face more i think there's a lot to be learned from um, not just our our pas or mds but even our therapy staff we have some we have an ot we have a pt who are both dual credential with athletic training and there's a great skill set there that we can again have that team approach to treating um, so if i could bring somebody in and just have them id share id or share um, with both the otat and the ptat and then vice versa i think we would, would create a really symbiotic relationship and then communication specific i would really love to be able to and maybe this is something we can look at in, in future years is having just us doing some simulated patient experiences, talking through different communication styles, because Scott's communication style is gonna be much different than say, Misty or Kelsey or Haley, other people on my staff. Like we're all gonna communicate differently, but it's also good for us to see everybody's approach so that we can learn from each other. Hey, when you call mom and, and Johnny just suffered his first ever concussion and Johnny's a freshman and he's never been hurt before, how do you handle that? What do you say and what's your delivery method? Um, that would be another great opportunity to take what you guys are doing in those simulated patient experiences and then do some more mock stuff once you graduate because you can always refine your communication style and your approach. Yeah, absolutely. I think those monthly staff meetings are a potential opportunity to do some simple role play, especially if you can bring in uh, the physician or the PA and having them provide uh, insight. I think sometimes as athletic trainers, we try to avoid maybe overstepping or we don't want to um, restate what the physician has said, but how often patients leave those appointments uh, confused about what their, what their care plan is. And if the physician or PA can actually provide feedback to the athletic trainer about how they're communicating with the parent or the patient, that can improve 
not just the style, but the content and <clears throat> the true take home message the physician wanted the patient to leave with. If the athletic trainer is reinforcing that, that's an opportunity to provide, provide that information as well. I just think for us, like I'm sure our students are tired of us creating and forcing them into simulation type activities, yeah. but I just think there's so much value in it, both from a preparatory perspective, you know, students who are in professional programs or even post-professional programs getting these structured formal education opportunities. But I think about it from a supervisory perspective, how um, creation of simulated activities can help you assess your own staff. It can help you identify their areas of weakness. So if you were thinking about or you were giving advice to an athletic trainer moving into a supervisory role, we've got many students who the reason why they joined the DAT was because they saw themselves moving into a role like yours mm -hmm. or maybe the position you had prior where they're facilitating athletic training services for a healthcare uh, unit. How would you or what would you tell them about helping to mentor and train new athletic trainers relative to, to communication specifically? Yeah, I mean, I, I've relied a lot on past experience. I was by no means the best communicator ever graduating, and I certainly wish I had the simulated patient experiences you guys have now. We just didn't have have that opportunity. There was no classroom where you could I could be in the room with a patient and be filmed, and then I could critique it kind of like I would watch a game film if I was a basketball coach, right? I didn't have that opportunity. So um, I, 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 I'm, I'm jealous that you guys have that now, and I didn't have that 10 years ago, but Growing into this role in the athletic training specific role was I surrounded myself with some really good mentors because every step of this journey, somebody's been there before. And I don't need to recreate the wheel if I can find somebody who's done it really well. And then I can learn from them and glean insight from them. So I try to find a mentor every step I go so that I can learn from them and then I can pass that down back to my staff. Um, but then you also have to draw on your past experiences. That's where working clinically and then growing into a leadership role is really helpful because you're still mentoring and supervising clinicians, right? So um, drawing on past experience and then um, having a relationship that's more than just a supervisor relationship, right? I consider myself a mentor to everyone on my staff because I have more seniority than everybody on my staff. So then. I encourage a free flow of dialogue between me and them so that they can ask questions. If it's a treatment for IT band syndrome or if it's talking to a coach or having a difficult conversation with, with an athletic director, like what can we do to do that? And then I share a lot of articles. I share podcasts. Like there are, there are people out there that are, are conversation experts right I'm, i just started a book ironically this week called crucial conversations where i'm trying to glean insight from these people who have studied having crucial conversations whether in the boardroom or with a coach for the last 25 years and what can i learn from that and then how do i share that with my staff right um uh, some of it comes back to the the book i'm reading calls it knowing what's where your heart's at right so what are you trying to accomplish with a conversation first what is your goal What's your sentiment towards that conversation? Once you're able to identify that, then looking externally at your audience and figuring out, well, what's their goal of this conversation and how do we have a free flow of dialogue where we're not stepping on each other's toes? So um, it takes a lot of introspection. And at 24, 25, when I graduated my GA experience, 
I was, I was on top of the world. I was going to conquer athletic training. I didn't do a lot of introspection, but now as you get older, I, I can identify a thousand things that are weaknesses in my skill set right now that I continually have to self-improve upon either through CE opportunities or podcasts like we're recording today or just books, right? I didn't pick up a book eight year, until eight years after I graduated from my UPI. I just had no desire to read another textbook. And that's okay, but find another method or avenue to help you fill out your weaknesses. That I would encourage you guys to all, to all look internally first and then seek out your mentorship to say, hey, where do you think I can improve at? And then they can share with, share with you some resources as well. Yeah, and I think you hit on two really key points that we talk a lot about in the DAT. The first is vulnerability, and I think uh, to kind of stretch what you said even further, part of that is sharing that vulnerability with your subordinates and not just addressing or talking to your mentors about this is an area of weakness, can you provide me advice? Goes back to what you said earlier, you know, my, my experiences should help inform the conversations I'm having with my staff. So being vulnerable about the mistakes you've made and trying to help them see some of the potential, uh, you know, potholes or, or landmines they can avoid by the things, by the mistakes I've made can, can be one teaching tool that can help them be successful. But I think the other thing, and we, we, we say this often, that leaders are readers and that the more they spend time thinking and considering ideas outside of athletic training, the more prepared they'll be to successfully lead. And I think sometimes, I mean, I, I would say I'm a perfect example. I love athletic training and I love athletic training education. And right now I'm very satisfied running a doctoral program of being engaged in athletic training, but I certainly have the capacity to be a dean, to be a, an upper level administrator uh, in higher education. And so eventually one day that, that might be where I end up. But if I'm not reading and I'm not engaged and I'm not part of the higher ed community, I'll never have the opportunity to uh, move into those positions. And so if people want jobs like yours, they can't just be focused on athletic training. They have to be focused on healthcare administration. And to be fair, business and law and politics, because all of those factors play into success in healthcare. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Don't, I mean, I God bless the Athletic Training Education Journal and the Journal of Athletic Training, but those journals didn't help me become a healthcare administrator. Reading books like Extreme Ownership, I know Dr. Games loves that book, but reading books about leadership in business, in the military, in, in whatever, are going to allow you to have more adaptable skill set to whatever leadership position you want to take on. Maybe it's a dean in the university. Maybe it's uh, an athletic director um, in a college university. Maybe it's a director of athletic training for a health system. Maybe it's CEO of a health system. Whatever that is, looking at those other methods of leadership outside of the traditional athletic training model um, is super important. And don't pigeonhole yourself either, right? Be open to... Um, where your path may take you, right? Again, back to my original story, I was gonna be the Indiana State men's basketball athletic trainer for four years. I was gonna come home and that's what I was gonna do. And at 65, I was gonna retire and that was it. 10 years in, I've gone from traditional athletic trainer to director of athletic training to now a full-fledged 
healthcare administrator. And that's only 10 years. Like, I don't, I couldn't tell you where I'm headed in the next five or 10 years. I can just tell you I'm open to all the possibilities and we're just going to see where this road takes us. So don't limit yourself when you get out to just one setting or one idea. Be open to it all. Well, thanks so much for having this conversation with me today. I, I know that our students will benefit from your experiences and your wisdom and learning about your path. I think uh, sometimes we do, we, we make that, uh, we have that vision, that trajectory, but we often need to reconsider the possibilities. And sometimes when we create expectations and we don't meet those planned expectations, what we've done is missed a view of something else that could have helped us uh, be as successful as we want to be. Yeah, and just embrace your experiences, right? I had a, just again, drawing on my, on my experience, I had an awful job and I was just in the pits. I would come home and complain to my wife and she'd be like, quit complaining. Like, you're going to learn something from this. And then in hindsight, I'm like, okay, yeah, I get this. So yeah, I mean, be open to everything that comes your way, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because when you reflect back in a couple of years on it, there's a reason why you're going through that experience. Um, yeah, and just just embrace the journey um, because it's an unknown journey to all of us and just enjoy the heck out of it.